Things are just heating up at Aqueduct with this meet just getting started. We have fantastic racing this weekend with the Aqueduct Turf Sprint Championship, the Grade 3 Discovery, and the Grade 3 Long Island on the turf. If you're new to Naira Bets, we got a promo code for you. It's Rewind, R-E-W-I-N-D. It'll give you a $200 match deposit bonus. That's R-E-W-I-N-D. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome to episode 65 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is Matt Vagvolgi, who love having on the show, and we're going over four races from last Saturday's Aqueduct Card races, four, six, nine, and ten. And some angles we talk about are how a horse in a new barn can improve multiple races in a row, how doing some extra class handicapping could help you find a bad four to five shot, and how looking at another Suge horse profile could help you come up with the Red Smith winner. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. It ain't good for me. Why we do this for? We go back and forth. Won't do this no more. Always have a solid. Always have a solid. Always have a solid. Always have a solid. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, Matt Vagfolgi. Welcome back, Matt. Glad to have you on. It's Spencer. How's it going? Good to be with you. I'm excited. Fun card back at the Big A. Uh, as we were just talking off air, people complain, you know, at least complain about winter at Aqueduct. Now it seems like just the full field, like you said, it's almost like handicapping Saratoga in some cards. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, like I said, yeah, I, I will call myself out as uh, as one of those people in, in, in years past where I have uh, kind of bashed uh, Aqueduct. It's uh, usually when I go into uh, hiding after Breeders' Cup and, you know, not much value out there, not much reason to play. But uh, the last couple of years in particular, have just been fantastic. It's been really, really good cards. And, uh, you know, last weekend was just tremendous. It's full fields, great turf racing, dirt racing. You know, I, the, the track, I think, is, uh, you know, playing fair. I just, there's a lot to like about it. And, and it just has really garnered a lot of my attention, a lot of my wagering dollars. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I've bashed in the past, but uh, I'm certainly loving uh, what Aqueduct's put out as a, as a product. You just talked about taking a break. How important is it to you to take breaks after certain meets? I remember. Uh, reading Dave Lipfin's books, he would take the first week or two off of Belmont coming out of Saratoga because that crazy, crazy schedule they used to be on was just so much for someone's brain. Uh, I tend to maybe not take breaks per se, but maybe I take a weekend or two off here and there. What about you? Yeah, no, I, 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 um, I definitely subscribe to, to taking, taking some breaks. And usually what I would do is Breeders' Cup has kind of been the uh, – Kind of the end point. There's different points throughout the year, and you mentioned like after Saratoga, uh, but I would take more of uh, time off. I would say after Breeders' Cup, um, but it's not necessarily just kind of away from racing as a whole. I like to do a lot of kind of housekeeping, like going back through my ADW and looking at bets and ROI and you know different you know the way like for Naira Bets uh, particularly. I mean, you can go through and a lot of ADWs have this. You can go through certain bets and see how you've done dollars wagered ROI. What's my total ROI for the year. And then I kind of reconfigure and go back through um, you know, a lot of angles, a lot of statistics that I run. You know, I, I kind of take a, a, a step back to look to see where I'm at and, and how I'm doing. And uh, so that's kind of what I do necessarily. Uh, that's what I do after uh, a position like, like the Breeders' Cup. But 
like after Saratoga, especially, um, at least a week off for me, two weeks off where I really don't do much. And another big thing too, is I always cash out after, after Saratoga. Mm-hmm. Um, something I've been doing the last like three or four years, I thought has been helpful is sometimes the same mentality and level of wagering just kind of carries over into Belmont after Saratoga. And I started to look at like, why, why am I betting so much into this pick five or, or playing, you know, these types of, uh, these types of wagers at such a high dollar amount. It just, cause that was, that's the opportunity that's really there uh, with, with Saratoga and Del Mar, my top two tracks I play in the summer. So I think it's good to cash out, go back down to kind of a base and, and kind of re-rack your brain a little bit and, and try to build a bankroll from there. So that's something I've been doing. Again, there's, there's always different things that people do that work for them, but I think overall taking a break and taking a breather is really, uh, really important because you also get hungry too. You want to get back to the races and you want to play. You talk about building a bankroll. I kind of want to add some more beginner flavor into this podcast. Uh, some people who I have been quote unquote coaching or just, you know, trying to train up with bankroll management and such. Uh, you always hear people want to pick the winner, find the winner. For me, I've always found it as I don't want to find the winner per se. I want to find the, you know, crew of horses, you know, the three or four, two or three that can win the race. And I'm looking to eliminate horses with my first go around. Do you kind of feel like you have the same approach? Yeah, in terms of the handicapping process, uh, I mean, that's what I'm looking to do, really. The first pass through is I'm looking to eliminate horses. Um, because what I want to do is when I really get down to the meat of it, I want to find the horses that I feel have a legitimate chance to win. Those are the horses I want to go through my full process with. I want to handicap. I want to watch video. Um, all, all the things that I think are, are, are helpful. And I think, you know, with, with a lot of the data that I created on my own too, you know, part of that statistical analysis is that there's certain value or certain numbers I'm looking for that statistically eliminate horses. And then I'm just trying to go back and, and again, like I said, look at look at horses. I think of a viable shot. I think it's it, it's a it's a great approach. It's something that I started doing a while ago. And listen, it comes down to mental capacity. If you're trying to handicap every single horse exactly the same, or spend the the amount of time equally on every horse, you're going to burn out by the time you get to the end of the card, or even the end of the race. And you start to get lazy with your ticket making. It's just because you're you're mentally fatigued. So I think imploring your 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 mental energy into horses that have that legitimate shot i think not only helps you see the race a bit better but also i think it allows you for more uh more of a, the brain power to do the most important thing which is build the bets at the end of the day now this is something that i try and do and it for some people they think i'm crazy when i do it i start from the bottom of the pp work my way up because i like to see kind of like the story unfold in front of me if you know how many times has this horse been in the claim box oh three or four times in the last 10 races so this a lot of trainers must like this horse, et cetera. I know a lot of people sometimes will only look at the last race or go three three back, and I just don't think that tells a big enough part of the story a lot of the time. Yeah, no, it, it, again, it's a good process to, to kind of work your way up into what is today's event and what, what has this horse done in the past, anything that's similar, anything you know that, that could be useful for today. Um, for, for me, I start with pace. Um, I look at statistics, I look at, you know, a lot of my angles that I have built, anything that catches my attention, but I start with the, the, the pace of the race that gives me a picture of how this puzzle is going to unfold, and then I start to look at different horses that I start to kind of go through that, look at horses that I think are competitive, and how that relates to, to today's race and, and today's competition, so, 
still, I would say there's not a, a, a perfect structure for, for me, but I think having a process of how you approach the races, I think, I think is important. And, and once you find something that really works for you, I think, uh, you know, not only you start to, I think to be more successful, you start to enjoy the game a lot more. Obviously coming off Breer's cup for me, I, I didn't take a break quote unquote, but I I'm super excited for two tracks that are starting up this week, uh, Tampa and fairgrounds. I, I'm a Tampa diehard. I don't know why I love it. I think it's just gotta be grunders calls at the end of the day, <laughs> just loving to hear all the stuff on how a horse's four lengths clear and then ends up off the board. Not that he's a bad race car, but some of them are pretty, pretty funny to listen to. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And listen, I, I think he's great for the game. He, he has a his uniqueness of his voice. And for me, since I've gotten into playing in the NHC, his voice reminds me of the NHC. Like, I know the NHC is coming when I hear his voice uh, on the uh, uh, on on the uh, on the TV, so um, yeah. No, I, I I've gotten more into Tampa. I've gotten more into to fairgrounds. I mean, I have to thank uh, I have to pretty much thank fairgrounds for uh, my final table uh, pursuit at the NHC. It's I think it was like sixty percent of my seventy percent of my bankroll came from from fairgrounds plays. But uh, no, it's a fun track. Um, I think there's um, you know some some interesting um, some interesting uh, races, interesting uh, fields to look at there. But uh, yeah, usually in normal years, which 2020 is the furthest thing from normal, mm-hmm. um, I'd be getting ready for the NHC, but uh, unfortunately that's going to be pushed off to the summer. But uh, but yeah, no, some new tracks coming into the fold kind of just reminds you that uh, that winter is certainly coming. What's kind of talk you had said you were working on some angles of pass and looking at your ADW. Was there anything that you were surprised of or just an angle that you were like, this has been tried and true for the whole last six months and I'm happy that it's still going strong with a positive ROI? Um, I mean, angles kind of come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, f- for me, I'm starting to pay attention more to, um, to, to, to jockey streaks, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I know we, I think we talked about this the last time we were on and, and I kind of been looking at that a little bit more and, and running some statistics on that. Um, but you know, you know, again, it's, it's angles again, I think they're always good to review and also to understand what angles that were really hot that are starting to cool off and, and understand when to jump off those angles. Um, and then on the ADW perspective, I would say if, if anyone listening hasn't done that before, that's probably one of my biggest recommendations is try to stick to an ADW, play through that with all of your different bets, and then go back and look to see, you know, where have you been successful? Where have you been, you know, not so good. And what I've noticed like, I think it was like three years ago, it really stuck out to me how successful I was playing daily doubles. And I'd never really jumped, you know, it wasn't like at the forefront, you know, it was pretty much a multi-race exotic, you know, pick pick five, uh, you know, the old traditional pick six. And then I started to look at that more and say, you know what, I really want to concentrate to see like if there's something there. And if you're looking at like my ROI today, it's my top ROI is playing doubles. Um, but I found that interesting. So something that came out of that review, I pay attention a little bit more to it, and you start to find where you're really, really comfortable playing, um, and, and you start to pay attention to that a little bit more. So uh, no, I, I think the ROI, looking through your your bets and looking at where you're successful and where your money is going, I always think is a is a very healthy practice to review. And you might disagree with me on this aspect. I feel like everyone just wants to hit that one big, you know, lifetime, you know, six figure, five high five figure score now. Whereas, and I tell guys all the time, you have an opinion in the first leg, race one, and you're okay in the second leg, and then you're kind of spreading the last three, and you're playing a fifty to a hundred dollar pick five. Why not just play a fifty dollar daily double, 
And if you hit three or four of those throughout the same week, maybe you're not going to hit a five-figure score, but I think the bankroll would be a lot healthier because, A, you're taking a ton of variance out because you only need two races instead of five. And, and I just, for the smaller bankroll players, everyone's trying to get in these $30, $45 tickets. And I know people like you, Pete, JK, who, you know, play with four or five friends and they've got an $800 ticket and have everything covered that you don't. I just, you have to hit probably two out of a hundred maybe to break even even at that point with your little $30 ticket no I agree I, I agree I think part of that is also this is again another another process that I, I kind of learned as I, I've gone along playing is not to have a preconceived notion of what you're playing for the day mm-hmm. right because before you look at the card to say I'm going to play the pick five right pick five may not work like you said a perfect example of yeah you might have a couple races that you're comfortable with and you want to play and you have opinions and then you know three of them you have no clue you're scratching your head you can play those spreadier tickets like you said you might get lucky and hit them but over time you know spreading out and and what i call buying insurance on on as many horses as possible to try to hit it i think is going to be a just a, a negative proposition long term you know, so I kind of back into bets where I, I handicap the card. I look at where I like horses. Are they in sequential order? So, you know, I focus in and react out. So I focus in on a horse and then I react out to what's around it. Is it in a pick five, in a pick six? Is it, you know, where, where is this particular horse I really like? And, and how does it fit into the card? And that's where I start to build bets. And what I've just, I've seen is that there's been times where two races together, I really like horses and I play a very strong a very strong double opinion, and it's been very successful on on the ROI standpoint. Let's talk real quick about Saturday's card. I had gone back through, obviously, and looked at some of the winners, so this is kind of what I came up with. Two of the ten races were won by favorites. Eight out of ten were five to two or higher. Six out of ten were $10 horses. The first four races were all won by a neck or a no, so that's where kind of the variance comes in, where obviously if it was a favorite running second, we could have had a couple more favorites. You always hear everyone says, oh, Chalk always wins. This was the exact opposite of that. And I feel like Saturday's card, like you would say with all the turf racing, was a card that if you had solid opinions and didn't like a couple of favorites, you really could have made good money. Oh, for sure. For sure. But and I think it goes back to what we what we started off talking about, of just the competitiveness of these fields. I, I just think, you know, again, I really do mean that. I was I was handicapping Saturday's card. I was like, wow, she was like a like a Saratoga card. This is fantastic. Um but some tricky turf races, uh, you know, some really good competitive big field dirt races. You know, there, there's just a lot of different directions you can go in. And I mean, when you have competitive fields like this, you're, you're going to get, you know, some nice prices mixed in there. And you're right. Yeah, it was very, you know, photo finish after photo finish. And it could have gone, you know, differently in terms of, you know, shorter price horses. But, you know, listen, I think when you have the competitiveness that we're seeing, this is what attracts me to playing cards like this. And, uh, no, I think the prices were great. The fields were great. I think it's just a great product at Aquinox. Let's jump into our first race of the day. It was race number four. It was an optional 62 N2X going one and one-eighth miles on the outer turf course. Obviously, with a big-time scratch of the Chad Brown horse, it was kind of open up for who would be the favorite. Ended up being conviction trade at a little under two to one. Did you like this horse or you're on someone else? I actually uh, went to the outside here. I went to, uh, to Mr. Alec and, um, you know, for the, for the obvious, you look at Rosario, uh, Clement, uh, connection there, but that wasn't, I just felt like this horse would be close enough to the pace. I think, I think Joel is, is smart enough not to, to try to attack the lead. I really thought the two, uh, Arthur, Arthur Kitt and um, and also the four uh, blameless would be the the pace of this race. 
My concern was that this horse would get drawn to the lead, and that would set it up very nicely for a conviction trade. I thought would get that really nice uh, inside save all the ground kind of trip, and uh, be able to run him down. But uh, no, I just I liked I liked Joel in these positions. You know, just just stalking that pace and knowing when the knowing when to go. And I, I thought that uh, Mr. Alec would get uh, get a perfect pace set up here. I think it's just interesting when you obviously have a big-time scratch like that of the favorite. Uh, I looked at Conviction Trade. Obviously, Irad, Maker off the claim, sounds you know enticing. But when you have a horse like this that the last you know couple times before in the N- N3L at the optional 62 level, the last four times, 92, 89, 85, 86, and only one time hit the board, and it was a third by two and three-quarters length, which in, in itself is a good race. But this is one that I thought maybe was becoming that proven loser style where – just was going to have to just get not just the right pace set up, but the right field set up as well, where a bunch of them just weren't going to be able to get it done. I kind of was with you. I was on the outside winning factor, hieroglyphics, Mr. Alec. The key thing for me with Mr. Alec was it was the only horse dropping out of a graded stake. Now, obviously, we've, I've talked about a lot recently. No graded stake is, you know, some are fake and some are real. I don't know how good this Monmouth grade three was, but just knowing that they had that back class and was now dropping into a bunch of different horses that, you know, hieroglyphics was jumping up for the first time in this type of field. Winning factor had been, you know, okay in his last two, but just wasn't good enough to get the job done and seemed to be one that liked to be finishing underneath. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then that's kind of where, where I came back. And in your, 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 especially in the grade three level, that's where it gets a little fuzzy in terms of, um, you know, how, how quality was the field or how quality was the race. Um, but again, I, I kind of circled can come back again to, to, to just how this pace was going to unfold. And, you know, listen, you know, st- stalking a fairly quick pace that I felt would happen. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think Joel's just in a perfect spot with Mr. Alec to, to, to really run him down in the, in, in the lane. So that, yeah, that's, I, I went with Mr. Alec here. I did play the race heavily, but it was Mr. Alec. And then I backed up a bit with uh, conviction trade. I will say this is the last thing before we get into the race replay. Uh, winning factor, obviously, in very good form. But like we had just said, 18 starts, three wins, five seconds, four thirds. That I always circle the second and thirds and they equal nine. It's three times how many wins they have. So to me, that's kind of what gives it that you know second-itis type. Michael Maker, since claiming off Terry Pompey, just changed hieroglyphics around. 78, 80, 89, 91. Obviously, the last race for 40 was you know pace-aided with blue fractions and... You have to be worried about that, but this is a horse that maybe doesn't like to win, but having more wins in seconds and thirds, I've always given that horse kind of that extra oomph. So Hieroglyphics was my top pick, ended up playing him across the board at 4-1. to one. Also, this is the only horse that was in for the tag. What are your thoughts on that one? It's just a sole horse in for the tag. Are you just Do you give that horse a little bit extra plus factor, or is it more of a minus? Um, I really don't put a whole lot into that. Um, sometimes I will, especially, you know, if it's, I don't know, it, it depends on the situation, right? You know, if you're looking at a horse that's maybe, you know, run a couple of times, you know, big purchase price and all of a sudden it's, you know, dropping to a rock bottom level, um, or just look at the sequence of, you know, maybe a claim and then right back in where, you know, between the, you know, if this horse wins plus the claim, it's a, it's a huge return for, for the ownership group. I may look at those things a little bit, but not necessarily, you know, just, you know, completely focusing in on, um, on, on that as a, as a, as a big factor. For me, it was hieroglyphics. For Matt, it was Mr. Alec and a little bit of conviction trade. Let's see who wins the fourth right now. 
Blameless going out for the early lead. Hieroglyphics on the outside. It is a Mr. Alec now moving up. Mr. Alec up to challenge Blameless for the lead. Then it's Hieroglyphics and the gray winning factor at the back conviction trade and author Kit. The field is moving into the clubhouse turn. And it is a Blameless, the leader here over Mr. Alec. A blameless in front, Mr. Alec running in second. Hieroglyphics has made his way down to the rail alongside his winning factor. Then it's Conviction Trade and Arthur Kitt. The opening quarter one in 24 and four-fifth seconds. Blameless by a half length. On the outside is Mr. Alec, who's racing in second. Then it's a length to the duo of winning factor and Hieroglyphics. And at the back, the uh, duo of Conviction Trade and Arthur Kitt. And now the field is midway up the back stretch. And there goes Winning Factor with a bold move up on the outside to challenge Blameless for the lead. But Blameless is still in front. Winning Factor runs in second. Mr. Alec. And on the inside, it is Hieroglyphics who is gaining ground. Conviction Trade is fifth. And Arthur Kitt, just three and a half lengths separating the field after a half and 51 and three. Blameless on the inside leads by a neck. Winning factor on the outside now draws right alongside. Conviction trade is on the move. Down at the rail is Hieroglyphics. In between horses, Mr. Alec and Arthur Kidd is the trailer. As they come for the top of the stretch, blameless at the rail. Winning factor on the outside. And the two of them are heads apart as they come into the lane now. Here's winning factor on the outside. Blameless continues to battle on. Hieroglyphics is being asked for more. On the outside is Mr. Alec, then Conviction Trade, and Arthur Kitt. Here comes Hieroglyphics. Here comes Mr. Alec on the outside. Now a 16th to the finish. Conviction Trade is in third. Hieroglyphics and Mr. Alec, and the two of them come to the wire. And another photo finish. It was tight. Hieroglyphics on the inside and Mr. Alec on the outside. And the number six, Hieroglyphics, does get it done, paying 10.60 with a 92 buyer. Thoughts on the winner, Matt? I felt like this was a big miss for me, um, not including this horse uh, in the mix. And, you know, you alluded to it before we uh, went, went through the race of, you know, some. you hear me say this quite a bit when, when I, I use Timeform US for my, my PPs. And, um, you know, I say closing into the blue as, as a big positive. And what that means is, you know, blue being coded as a slow pace and red being coded as fast pace. If you look at that last race, uh, mile and three eighths at Belmont, I mean, clo closing into a, a crawl of a pace in, in that race uh, should have jumped to the forefront of my brain, especially at four to one. Um, I think I, I think I missed one there. It was a tough fight to the end. I mean, I thought Mr. Alec had it, uh, had it measured. Um, I thought Joel ran a perfect race again, just, you know, got up with the pace, you know, laid off it a bit. Um, you know, I think, Hi uh, Hieroglyphics and, and Mr. Alec had the same trip and, but I've got to give it, you know, the Hieroglyphics just, just really fought hard and earned that win. It was a fantastic win and, and, and a great price. So, you know, kudos to you for, uh, for sniffing that one out. I think too, this is kind of a good thing to bring back from earlier. We talk about, you know, taking horses off the board before we look for our main contenders. Obviously a horse like blameless was the only horse above 10 to one just seemed completely, uh, just mismatched in this field. Arthur Kidd, I just thought, was a Euro that just wasn't good enough. I had liked winning factor a bit at 4-1, to one, but uh, ended up being at 9-2, to two, but when I can get hieroglyphics just a tick lower, I kind of just ended up fading that one a bit and that one running off the board. Conviction trade running third. I just think that the proven loser thing, I think I kind of really hit this race in the head and just kind of it almost becomes just narrowed down into hieroglyphics or Mr. Alec, and you could have played a decent exact here in a small six horse field and ended up getting out with 1840 that's nothing uh bad to sniff at yeah no no you're absolutely right absolutely right and 
yes, conviction trade got third, but what, that wasn't earned. That was just given. Um, I felt that it, it was just a perfect setup, sat the trip, and showed nothing in the lane. So that that's a horse that I will certainly will be fading uh, going forward, no question about it. A little interesting also with that one being first off the claim for Maker, we can look just at another horse like Hieroglyphus, seeing how that horse ran first off the claim, and it wasn't that good either. I know you had said you would fade the horse. Is this maybe one that two or three races down the road, down the road, maybe Maker will come back and uh, obviously I think we'll always end up being a short price now being in the Maker barn. Everyone loves to play Maker, but maybe we'll end up getting a win down the line here. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you can certainly see it. Um, I just feel like, you know, it depends obviously on the race, the setup, what what are the conditions, that, that sort of thing. Um, I think if this horse drops a little bit or gets in a softer company, then yeah, I think you'd be a really short price, but I think it's uh, starting the process for a horse like this of trying to uh, trying to uh, define his friends. And um, you know, again, I think if well, let's say this, this say a commission trade comes back at the same same level, I'd probably play against here. I just didn't see a whole heck of a lot uh, in in the lane when it came time to really punch. There just wasn't much there, and I think that um, that third placing will be misleading. And uh, again, it, it, I have to see the kind of the, the the complexion of the race, the condition, everything like that, but. In general, I still think I would look to try to find the options elsewhere. Super fun for the next race. Race number six was a maiden special weight going one on one, sixty miles on the turf. The buyer par was sixty nine. Uh, I take six points off for it being a route, so sixty three to kind of keep it within and see where it is. Obviously, a huge, huge favorite. Freedom of the press running that above buyer par of seventy three for Chad. You always kind of knew this horse was going to be short on the morning line. And uh, decent second at first time out. Yeah, and and you know just looking at um, you know like on a pick pick five perspective, uh, my two A's were the eight Freedom of the Press and the six uh, EV Jets. Um, yeah, it, it's you know if you look at the type of race that Freedom of the Press ran, I thought was um, very very good first time out turf route um, against some strong company as well. Uh, I just felt the you know in in Chad's barn. You know, just looking at how these horses second time out really improve. And I felt even just a slight improvement or even that same race would get it done here. So, yeah, four to five, but on a, on a multi-race perspective, it was a key horse I was going to play. Um, I did mess around with some other horses as as bees. I thought Tick, 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 Boom was interesting, um, as well as uh, White Frost was the other one that I liked. And I like White Frost for something different i think that this horse was searching for turf and you know coming off of two decent uh dirt tries against some pretty um pretty tough company caught the mud last time i just felt that this horse wanted to run on the turf and also wanted to go long um you know really nice pedigree in there um so i did include uh white frost as a b on on my uh, on my pick fives along with the seven uh but the two keys for me i just felt again nothing nothing brilliant but i thought freedom of the press would uh you know really lay it over this field what did you like so much about ev jets because to me uh i'm not the biggest anthony dutro fan and i hate horses that don't improve that second time out obviously the turn back was a little strange I just this is a horse that I was trying to fade completely. Um, th- this was a horse I felt was kind of running into shape, um, if that makes any sense. Sure. Um, and and looking at that route first time out, um, I thought it ran well. I mean, I thought you know what was competitive in that race. I know it was a quick pace. Those middle fractions were pretty quick. Um, you know, finished third by a neck, and then sprinting the next time out. You know, took some money. I just didn't feel like you know that was 
the you know the the right play for this horse so i felt getting back to a route getting some additional distance i felt this horse could really improve um and again i just felt looking at the rest of the field stalking the pace i just i just felt would be it would be a key player again I, a notch below freedom of the press but i just thought that looking at the progression in this third start i thought would be uh would be key for this horse that's why i moved this horse up to an a Kind of completely non-racially, but Tick, 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 Boom might be the best horse name I've seen for the sire hit at a bomb, or just in recent memory for me of a horse name. Everyone complains, oh, you know, a lot of the names don't make sense with the sire line, all that. I thought that one was terrific. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I always feel that, uh, you know, especially when you have a, a really colorful uh, announcer, like uh, if you watch a replay back at Tim McClough, it's like, it takes him like <laughs> five minutes to say his name. It's fantastic. So, no, I agree. Fantastic name. For me, it was Freedom of the Press and a cold, hard single. You would like Freedom of the Press, Evie Jets, along with a couple Bs. Let's see who can break their maiden here right now. Freedom of the Press up for the lead along with Actually. Actually, Freedom of the Press. There goes Bella Patina on the outside, and Bella Patina is now in front, actually runs in second, Lahana on the outside in third, Freedom of the Press is next in fourth, White Frost in between horses in fifth, and Miss Bonnie T is down at the fence and racing in sixth. Then on the outside, it is a Fool Yourself next in seventh. As the field goes into the clubhouse turn, alongside of a Fool Yourself is Evie Jets, and then we come back to a Coworth Park, followed by Dame of Malta, and the uh, trailers are Tick Tick, tick, boom, and little nutter. The quarter went in 23 and 4. Bella Batina leads here by a length, actually is running in second, with White Frost just off the front runners in third, and alongside is Lahana next in fourth. Freedom of the Press, the favorite is in fifth, to her inside is Miss Bonnie T in sixth. Then it is Fool Yourself on the extreme outside, who is racing in seventh. The half went in 50 and 1. At the rail is Coworth Park. Alongside, Evie Jets, and then Little Nutter. At the back, Dame of Malta, and Tick, 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 Boom. It is still the big long shot, Bella Bettina, but here comes Actually, and here comes Lahana. Three of them across the track. Freedom of the Press up on the outside of White Frost. Miss Bonnie T is down towards the rail, and on the outside it is Fool Yourself as they pass the 3 pole. And Lahana has come away with the lead. White Frost has moved into second. And then it is Freedom of the Press. It's Lahana and White Frost. And the two of them will battle it out to the finish with White Frost prevailing to get her maiden victory. First time starter Lahana was second. It's a half dozen lengths. Back to Freedom of the Press in third. And the switch, switch the turf makes it work for the number four, White Frost, paying 16.20 with a 78 buyer. Way above the buyer par, unfortunately. Freedom of the Press dropped back down to a 67. What were your thoughts on the winner and the thoughts on Freedom of the Press not improving? Uh, yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I watching Freedom of the Press throughout this race, I, it just, I don't know, I, I just felt was never, never comfortable or really in a strong position. And uh, the idea of, of, you know, this Bill Ma horse changing surfaces, Kicking myself, I, I, I played around with, with throwing this horse in as an A as well. Uh, wound up keeping it as a B, so thankfully still alive. But uh, seven to one, I just felt this horse was screaming out for turf and very, very impressive uh, in the stretch. Uh, I thought kicked away very, very nicely. Loved the added distance. Loved the turf. I thought was uh, I thought was very impressive on the winner. 
I decided to do a little bit of back end research on Freedom of the Press from the uh, from the debut race, and I found some pretty uh, pretty scary things. Uh, only two horses came back to run second out of eight runners. Uh, one only one of them was at the maiden special weight level. Seven of the eight horses lost at two to one or less. And the key moment for me is that most of the horses buyer decreased out of that race. So and the and the winner had yet to run back. I almost wonder if maybe that's the, one of the buyers that maybe the line was just incorrectly put down. Obviously, we all know there's a bunch of mathematics that go into making the buyers. But I thought that maybe if I had just done a little bit of extra research, maybe Freedom of the Press wouldn't have ended up being a single. And I could have found a horse. And I, I love the fact that you were looking for, you know, the contrarian view of the pedigree. One that I thought was also interesting was uh, the number, the horse that ran second, Lejana, at a huge 22-1 to 1 for Sherry DeVoe. For people who don't know, Sherry DeVoe was uh, the assistant trainer for Chad Brown and helped uh, helped out with a lot of the good turf horses in that barn. And just, she's at, at 9%, not she's not had the best start. But when you look at her stats, $4 ROI for first-time starter, and she's 21% with two-year-olds. Well, this is the first time starting two-year-old, and you get 22 to 1 in a race that if you don't want to play a 4 to 5 shot and you're looking to be a little bit different, you also get a nice, nice, who I think is an underrated turf jockey in Jose Lescano on as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree on, uh, uh, was it Lejean, as I say, at the 12? I, I thought was was ran a winning race. Absolutely, she ran a winning race. Uh, this horse will not be a maiden for much longer. Um, it just got, just got run down. It just got run down by, by a better horse uh, today. And at a huge price, like you said, um, 22 to one, um, I thought for sure I was, um, there was moments I thought for sure I was out of the pick five before it started, so to speak. And, um, you know, thankfully, uh, I got the, I got white frost up, but yeah. And I think a lot of the stuff that you brought up there, that's where people ask me, like, you know, do you just follow blindly statistics? I don't, it's all part of like the portfolio of the, of the, you know, handicapping process for me. But sometimes those statistics help you paint a better picture to look at the race differently and then have it relate to the betting board, right? So, I mean, what you brought up there, I know it, it's it's kind of like looking back with a much clearer lens, but, you know, when sometimes when I, I see that, like especially when you're looking at like a common race or you're looking at what horses did and, and you're looking at a horse that's very short and might be dressed up and, you know, like in this race, stream of the press at four to five, yeah, it's a great opportunity to say, you know, I'm going to look elsewhere. I'm going to try to look for that opportunity elsewhere. So, I mean, I think that's a great example where you brought up of how stats could kind of, come into the fray and help you look at some different horses and get get a better price. And for me as well, I, listen, I love handicapping. I love playing the races. I've almost become someone who can't wait for the buyers to be released that night for major tracks and a couple of days later for the smaller tracks. Seeing that two horses ran above the buyer par, and then if you go down to my 63, you know, what is it? One, two, three, four more horses. So the top six all ran within the spire part. I mean, this could be a huge key race coming out of it. Maybe freedom of the press, maybe not so much. But these other horses, EV Jets, for yourself, Miss Bonnie T was at thirty-eight to one. Was okay first time out running. You know, um, the race looks so much more stressed out when you have two horses run so good like White Frost and Lajana. But some of these horses that finished fifth and sixth in this race aren't that bad for this level. No, not at all. And again, very, very competitive race. You're right. I thought the firsters ran very well. Um, you know, like, like I said, I, I, th I think I think you're right. I think that this, uh, you know, I, I think this race could could turn out to be a key race. And again, it's one of those things. It's it's all part of you make notes of that, right? You know, you're, there's all kinds of technology to help uh, help you make sure you know when some of these horses are running back again. But uh, but no, I, I I agree with you. I think that this is uh, I think this is a, a, a could potentially be a key race. 
Let's move on to the next race. It was race number nine. It was the grade three Red Smith going one and three eight miles on the turf. We chose a big, nice turf-filled day for this red board. Rewind. What did you like in here? So, you know, it was one of those things where I, I wanted to kind of lean on Saddler's Joy for, for a lot of reasons. Now, part of me is, you know, I don't know. I had this in the back of my head. It's a tricky horse, right? So you never really know which Saddler's Joy is going to show up. Um, you know, as I was talking with Pete on, uh, on, on his show, uh, earlier in the week, um, one of my, one of my, uh, favorite disqualifications that I'll always remember is, uh, with Sadler's Joy, uh, but, but felt like the class of Sadler's Joy would show up today. Again, I love Joel in these, in these turf routes where it really does become that, that, that inner clock jockey, uh, type race. And I just felt that Joel would have this horse in, in a good spot to count late and, and do the best running late, which Sadler's Joy does. Um, but I didn't, didn't lean heavily just on Sadler's Joy. I did look at Red Knight. Um, again, I, I thought that there's a, you know, a, a key race in this race, right? If you look at uh, the Sycamore back at Keeneland, um, you know, you've got, uh, you've got a few horses that, that came out of that race. And I just thought Red Knight's um, kind of explosion in, 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 in the stretch there, I thought was, was impressive. Um, you know, this will be third off the layoff, so I think there's still room for improvement there. I think a really talented horse um, I thought would be maybe a little bit closer to the pace, too, um, to, to have good position. But uh, I thought a horse, I think that's on the uptick, um, and I think it would be very competitive and, and really nice performances uh, going two back, uh, I believe, uh, was in Kentucky Downs and then at Keeneland with the Sycamore. Um, so those were the two, those were two A's I was going to lean on there. Sadler's Joy, the four, and Red Knight, the 10. Um, I also did like uh, the five, North Dakota. And this was, this was a horse that I didn't like on first pass, but then I started to look and, and, and I watched that, that, that grade three, the second more Keeneland over uh, again. And I actually felt that North Dakota was best in that race. Now, what I was hoping is to say, okay, everyone looks at this race and says, well, okay, uh, you know, you've got Red Knight won that race, right? You've got a couple of the horses that finished in front of this horse. Not only would we have to improve, we'd have to, you know, improve over three other horses that, that, that beat him. And I just felt that this horse might've been better. I thought it had just an absolute terrible trip. Uh, got closed off on the inside, actually hit the fence, you know, just got panged around. And then finally everything settles down. I thought North Dakota did some tremendous running late, um, really actually kept on and, and, and kept improving. So I thought that was a sneaky horse to use and felt that with a cleaner trip, this horse might've been best in that race. And my hope was, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you think you're you think you're smart, and then uh, usually on a regular basis, I'm, I'm reminded that I'm not. Where the board yeah, horse goes, you know, morning line ten to one, the horse opens up at three to one. Um, I was hoping that that wasn't going to be the case, and and it actually turned out that way. Um, but uh, of, of getting a decent price, so I thought this, I thought North Dakota was interesting um, as another horse to use beyond what I think the two real key players in this race would be: the four Sailors Joy and, and the ten Red Knight. I love these races, and I, I we go back to Sadler's Joy. I, I just wrote J.K. story. I remember from for people who listened to In the Money back when it was you know the DRF Players Podcast, etc. And I think he had played Sadler's Joy singled like four or five times in five straight pick fives, and he, the horse got beat in the Manhattan. I want to say, and J.K. says, "Okay, new rule: 
cannot play Sadler's Joy by himself. You have to play him with two or three others because he just can't seem to get it done. And so that's always just kind of stuck in my mind whenever I see those horses' PPs come out. And when you look at last year, Sword Dancer, uh, the race at Belmont, and then the Red Smith, a 103, a 104, and a 101 was second by a neck, third by a half, and then ended up winning the Red Knight. Same type of races going into this year, but it was an 84 losing by off the board, losing by more than 10, and then a 3 by 2 and 3 quarters. So I, I don't think that we have the same Sadler's joint. Obviously, by class, should romp this field and go, just already be in the winner's circle. I just I couldn't trust a horse at a short price like that, so I just I wanted to aim elsewhere. Uh, I, I seem to like we talk patterns all the time. I love when I can find a horse like Postulation, who was one of the horses that had beaten North Dakota in the Sycamore. This horse just seemed to me like was going to run a ninety buyer. Didn't know if it was a high, low, or middle number. I just said this horse is not going to pop a hundred. We know what this horse is. If he ends up winning, it's because everyone else is regressing or just couldn't get to him. So I just wrote a big nine and crossed him out, and we'll see if he can run a nine when the buyers come out. Zayed, I, I don't like horses, and I understand he, he only lost by uh, two lengths last time out. I don't like Euros that come over and can't win. Obviously had that race also at Woodbine and just missed. But this horse was going to take some money. At nine to two, I much more would have been on board compared to like seven to two five to two in that range because i don't want to take too short a price i didn't I, I thought manny was a little weird i was looking for more maybe a different jockey chain especially on the turf i'm not a big manny franco fan on the turf i just ended up on red knight just i i by process of elimination i just thought that the last three races have been very good gets jose obviously the race last time out was a perfect ride just a great trip by james graham and this is one that i just thought with all the negatives, would be a decent price, and I was very, very excited at five to two. Yeah, I was as well. I, I was as well, and um, you know, yeah, it's it's like I mentioned before, Salish is a tricky horse. You know, just this, you know, it's a tricky horse, and but I just felt the the, the kind of compilation of this field. I, I thought that the class should should be the difference maker here, and uh, especially with uh, with with. Joel just riding, you know, so hot on the uh, on the turf. I, I those are my two leans, but uh, no, I, I agree. Five to two, I thought was a great price in Red Knight. Let's see if Sadler's Joy can repeat here in the Red Smith, or if one of the others can get it done right now. Shanji and Real Factor now. Ziad is moving up. It's Real Factor from that inside post with the lead. Shanji runs in second, and Ziad is third here in the early going. Postulation runs in fourth, and alongside is Aquaphobia next in fifth. Then down at the rail is North Dakota in sixth. Alongside is Fame to Famous in seventh, followed by Tintoretto in eighth. Sadler's Joy is ninth, and right alongside is Red Knight. The trailer is Dr. Mounty. In the opening quarter, in this 11 furlong Red Smith Stakes was run in 24 and 3 fifth seconds. And Real Factor has opened up on the field. Real Factor has built a seven-length lead. Shanji runs in second. And Ziad is next in third. And then on the outside is Postulation next in fourth. North Dakota down at the rail runs in fifth. Alongside is Aquaphobia. And then we come back to Tintoretto, who's followed by Fame to Famous. The trailers are Sadler's Joy, Red Knight, and Dr. Bounty. The half went in 48 and 3, and they're heading for the backstretch with Real Factor holding a 10 length lead. Shanji 
and Ziad are heads apart second and third. With Postulation next in fourth. And down on the inside is North Dakota. And right alongside is Aquaphobia. And then we come back to uh, Tintoretto, who's being passed there on the outside by Red Knight. At the back of the pack are Sadler's Joy, along with Dr. Mounty and Fame to Famous. Real Factor leads the field into the far turn. Real Factor still has that 10-length lead or maybe more. And now Ziad being asked to pick it up, along with Aquaphobia and Red Knight. Then it is North Dakota and Dr. Mounty. The field is in the stretch. They're closing in now on Real Factor. Here comes Ziad on the outside. Here comes Aquaphobia. Here comes Red Knight. North Dakota, far outside. It is Dr. Mounty. It is Ziad with the lead. But Red Knight is closing along with North Dakota. North Dakota to get up and win the Red Smith Stakes. And the number five, North Dakota wins at paying 1940 with a 100 buyer. Nice pick in here with the B. Yeah, it was uh, kind of bittersweet. You know, it's always nice to sniff a horse like this out, and especially when it comes from from watching, you know, replays. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I think that's it's still what a lot of folks don't do, and I felt a lot of folks would just look at the running lines and dismiss this horse. The board told me that. Um, I, I was. I wish I would have moved this horse up. You know, one of those those Monday morning quarterback type deals. But uh, I unfortunately did get knocked out of the pick five, not having this horse as an A, just with the result of, of previous races. But uh, no, it's kind of bittersweet. Nice to sniff this horse out. And uh, you know, again, I thought that you know, I, you know, Red Knight ran a great race. Uh, was right there. But I just felt that, yeah, North Dakota just got a really tough trip. That was a tough race. And with a clean trip, I, I think uh, could, could get the money here. And uh, confused on Sadler's Joy's ride. Um, I never thought Sadler's Joy had a shot to win at any point of that race. Um, just so far back. And I know the, the, the 100 to one shot, it was a real, real factor, just ran off. So, But just was well back. For you know, just the whole race, and never really you know mustered up much of anything in the stretch, and I just felt never had a shot to win um, while watching that race. So it's a little disappointing in terms of the uh, uh, of the uh, of the effort from Savage Joy. So in that aspect, are you wanting to just cross this race out and just give them one more try, or is it just we're kind of like you know we're now we're zero for eight on the year with four with uh, four or five. Now this is all four, so fourth third still. Or just think maybe Sadler's Joy is a little bit over the top here. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of again. It goes back to you know our, our previous discussion of you know what, what's the race and set up mm -hmm. and all that and conditions and everything. But I think I'm more apt to play against. I, I don't know. I, I think Sadler's Joy might be going the other direction. Um, you know, but what would change that is you know giving this horse a, a break and coming back fresh. Maybe that would change it. But um, no, I just I just wasn't impressed. I wasn't impressed at all. I don't think I'm not blaming, you know, Joel for the ride. I just felt like this horse just wasn't there to run and didn't really show much. And I'm just wondering if this, if this horse is, uh, is, is going the, uh, is going South. And, and again, by, by name recognition may attract a lot of money next time out and uh, might be a good opportunity to take a swing against. Uh, Spencer learned a very important uh, lesson in this race. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had talked about civil union for uh, Suge as well, improving every race and obviously won the race before ending up uh well beaten in the Breeders' Cup, but this horse again, you know, improving every race, 
now wins at eight to one. I will for sure be betting this horse next time out, where it will probably lose. And uh, Red Knight gave me everything. Uh, oh, when the gate springs and you're happy with your price, that's the end of it. Now your variance comes into you know when you're all in at the poker table, you know, and what's the last card going to be if you're on the chess board and you're hoping your opponent can make a blunder to fix the blunder you just made. So I think when you look at this race, I did everything right. I just lost by half a length. You know, it's not in my handicapping next time out. Should I take this lesson and be like, okay, I need to look for horses more or less improving. Sure. Would I have had this exact and maybe I probably would have definitely added North Dakota at eight to one. That's for sure. But I still think that red Knight for me would have probably been a press. Yeah, and that, I think that's that's a great way to look at it. Is in and I think overall what you're saying is don't be results oriented. Just because the final result didn't go into the to, to the to the win column, you you made the right play. And I agree with you completely. And that's where you know I mentioned like oh, man, I wish we would have included North Dakota. I did play around with North Dakota being in in that A group. But at the end of the day, if I would have done it again, I probably would have stayed with the same two. Um, and 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 you just have to kind of look at it that way. That just because the result didn't go your way. You still played the race right. You, you were on the right horse, did everything to win, just got run down by a better horse. And at 5-2, to two, I make that bet every day on a horse like this. So, no, I, I agree with you. I think you, you made the right decision. The race played out exactly the way that, that I thought it would. I just didn't, didn't get up in the end. So, um, yeah, it's a tough process to go through, but I think move, removing yourself from just the result and understanding how the race played out, I think you could be pretty pretty satisfied. Uh, again, not with the result, but just with, with the handicapping and the play that you made. I think one of the best lessons, too, uh, James Quinn, in one of his books, he kind of made 5-2 to two as like the overall professional line of like if you can hit 5-2 to two consistently, and I think he's like 30 times out of 100, you, you equal, you know, 5 or 10% profit. And then all you have to do from 30 is hit five more winners and you can go up to 30% profit. So we're like at that point, you're only five wins away from really, you know, you're still going to lose 70 races within that time period out of a hundred races. That's the thing. If we're two results, you're not supposed to hit 70 races. If you did, you would be a millionaire. You'd only be playing the races. There's only so much we can do and you're still losing, you know, more than two times out of, out of three at that rate. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely, and and again, I, I just think it's that's probably one of the bigger things that I think I've done is just trying to remove myself from the result and go back and I review. I know, like I go back through my bets, I go back and I watch the races, kind of like what we're doing here, and going through it and saying, should you have done anything differently? You know, was this a blunder in terms of ticket construction or just price or whatever the case may be? And you know, I think having that kind of open mind to look at it. I think it just helps your play going forward, and you also don't beat yourself up just because you lost, right? So I think it's I think it's a healthy process to, to go through. The only way you know you're still playing an IRA track is with the ending of the day of races. Race number 10, a state-bred maiden claiming 40,000, going 1016 miles on the outer turf course. This race was a bad race in that it was just super hard to find anything with any good form. But this is, again, this is a race where I think if you go contrarian, You'd be really happy with the results. I agree, and I this is a race I love um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, I'm I'm looking at so when I when I hit the favorites, right, the the, the top two on the morning line. Mm-hmm. So you look at uh, was it Bricko and um, and the eight uh, Michael Michael's Bad Boy. Bad Boy. Yep. And you know you look at both those horses there. Now Michael Bad Boy felt could win, right? I I feel like that's probably the horse to beat. 
Um, if I found 20 bucks on the ground, I, I wouldn't bet it on Bricko. Like, that's how against I was uh, <laughs> that particular horse. That's very strong. And I still thought would draw money. So I'm looking at two horses I'm not in love with. In a maiden claiming race like this, going long on the turf, it just, I'm looking for something different. And and this, I always say, this is like a contest race that I love, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm playing like the NHC or something like that, where I'm looking at these these lower level races, where the public is going to be gravitating towards horses that are really got a lot of knocks and flaws to them. I'm going to look to see if I can find something different, right? Finding a different face. And this was a race that, um, that myself, as well as uh, talking with Pete, uh, he was, he was on this horse as well. Um, really liked uh, Empire Express and it had to do again, didn't like the favorites looking for a fresh face. This was the fresh face that I found. And last two races were on the dirt. Um, you know, was in, in that time frame, long layoff, was gelded, uh, didn't really do, do much. But you go back to that, that first time start on the turf at Aqueduct, going back into 2019. And the key there, and, and what I mentioned with Pete on the show, is to go back and watch this race a couple of times and just zone in on Empire Express. It was like the demolition derby out there. I mean, this horse gets bounced out of the gate has a rough trip, runs up on horses, gets almost knocked sideways in the stretch. After all of that, this horse puts it together and puts and, and, and puts his head down and runs. And I thought made a really nice run in the end. I know fourth, you know, beating six and a half is nothing to, 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 to be impressed with if you're just looking at the line. But when watching that race and watching it over and over again, I just felt like this horse wants the turf, wants to go long, gets another crack at it. If if we can just get a better trip here, I think we can be a major player. And I think he might get a little price because I think I really felt that Michael's bad boy was going to be the horse that, that folks are going to lean on. Like I said, two in this race, no, no doubt about it. But I really felt like you should look elsewhere for other alternatives. And I ended up on Empire uh, Express. And this was my, I was knocked out of the pick five, but I came right, my, my value line or my, my um, you know, my uh, line that I made for this horse was five to one. Anything above five to one, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bet pretty hard on this horse and also play around with some, some, uh, some other bets with this horse as well. But uh, Empire Express was, was a key play uh, for me. Now, obviously me and you both watch Naira a lot. What are your thoughts on Orlando Noda? Obviously, we hear the Twitter trolls. We hear what everyone says. Uh, obviously, for me, the way he improved some horses, you know, skeptical is, you know, probably the best word for me to use. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's 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 hard, but you have to be skeptical. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I mean, everybody is aware. If you're in the horse racing, you're aware of what took place. Uh, you know, this, this year and, and, you know, even leading up to this year, you just have to be skeptical when you see such improvement like that, you got to scratch your head a little bit and say, you know, what's going on. Um, so I don't think you kind of feel weird, right? You don't want to like knock somebody that maybe is just doing something different and, and has a good strategy to get these horses running better. Um, but you have to ask those questions. So again, the world we live in and what we've seen actually to be proven, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta ask those types of questions, but, um, no, I've had, <laughs> I, I, w- I was against uh, Noda pretty much every race in Saratoga and you know, how that worked out. <laughs> so I was uh, hoping, I know uh, again, Noda's cooled off a bit, um, was hoping that, uh, w- would get back to it here, but, um, I, I kind of took that noise and, and, and put it to the side and just looked at 
where I felt this horse would be best placed. And I felt had talent, um, you know, was previously trained by, by Brad Cox. So not coming from, uh, from, from any slouch of, of any sort. Um, I just felt this, this would be a race at a price. I would love to bet a horse like this, but, uh, but yeah, you, you have, you have to question when you see such improvement again, what we've seen uh, play out this year. For me, this race was an absolute pass for me just because I couldn't really find anything. BFL, to me, I just thought was a horse that was a proven loser at the level, had also lost already for state bred 25 on the dirt. I know it's a different surface, but just didn't see much like there. Bricko and Michael's Bad Boy seemed like the exact same horse to me that hit the board a ton and just liked to run that mid-60. So if, if they run 1-2 in this race, then I pretty much didn't want anyone out of this race going forward because I just felt like they were just kind of the suck-up maiden win that would then probably end up, you know, in a, well beaten in a claimer next time out, first time against winners. When you break it all down, Empire Express is almost really the only contrarian pick you can do. At 6-1, to one, it was hard for me coming out of Brad Cox's barn, especially after just such the bad cl- race on the class drop. But you're so right. When now they go back to turf, that horse had one time on turf which, by the way, was the best buyer. And at a 58, how much does this horse have to improve? And you're getting such a decent price at 6-1. to one. You get the bug boy to help the price. You get the speed. I just I couldn't pull the trigger. Yeah, no, you're right. And that that's where I, when I say I'm looking for a fresh face, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a horse like this with a very, very suspect field. Um, you know, that, that's why I'm going to lean heavily on, on this horse in this race. Let's see if... Empire Express can get it done, or if it's going to be one of the usual faces right now. Empire Express, there goes just in time for wine. From the extreme outside, it is Spiritual King. And now Dahi is moving up as the field goes into the clubhouse turn. Dahi and just in time for wine. Those two are heads apart. Empire Express down at the rail. Spiritual King is alongside. Then a break of three lengths back to the gray Bricko, who's running in fifth. Self-made is moving up on the outside from sixth. And then it's Bielefeld at the rail in seventh. Michael's bad boy is next in eighth. And then a break of five or six lengths back to the two trailers, open lengths and True Palace. The quarter, 22 and one-fifth seconds as they race up the back stretch. Just in time for wine has stepped away here and has opened up a seven or an eight-length lead. Then it is Spiritual King on the outside, moving into second. Dahi is next in third, and Empire Express is running in fourth. Self-made in fifth, followed by Bricko and Bielefeld. Then it's Michael's Bad Boy, farther back, open lengths. And the uh, trailer is True Palace. The half one in 47-1, and one, just in time for wine. The lead is down to three lengths. Spiritual King in second. Dahi is next in third. Self-made. Empire Express. Those two are together. Then Bricko, Bielefeld. Michael's bad boy is down at the rail as the field now comes into the stretch. Here comes Spiritual King on the outside of Just in Time for Wine. Just in Time for Wine is holding on to the lead here. Just in Time for Wine once again gets clear on the outside. Moving up is self-made. Empire Express is now coming on. And now there's a 16th to the finish. Michael's Bad Boy is looking for a way through. It is Empire Express who has the lead. Michael's Bad Boy, Empire Express wins it by a neck. And the number two Empire Express does get it done as the new pace playing 15-20 with a buyer of 66. It kind of just seems like what we had thought. This horse improved second time turf and everyone else kind of just ran the same race that we're used to seeing from them. Yeah, I'm very happy with the result, that's for sure. Um, and I emphasize result. Um, I think 
if you go back and watch that race, I, I have to admit, I think Michael's bad boy was the best, uh, in that race. Um, the horse, uh, Brico or Brico, however you want to say it. Uh, I mean, basically like top of the stretch started to lean on Michael's bad boy. Kind of like that, that guy in the middle seat on a plane that just falls asleep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like you're stuck between the window and him. You have no place to go. That was Michael's. Michael's dad had no place to go. Just leaning in, leaning in. Finally gets free. Makes a huge run late, but uh, just comes up short. Uh, but I'll definitely take the result there. Uh, had a nice win, nice exacta there. So a great way to uh, to get out with a nice profit. And I uh, just wish I could have been live in the, in the pick five because definitely would have had that horse as an A. I feel too, and this is not so much that we're going to talk about the field, but again, going into beginner, you know, tactics and learning stuff about handicapping you're looking for you know out of 100 races how many times can michael's bad boy win how many times can empire express win well at under two to one michael's bad boy has to win you know a third of the races which may or may not happen to end up being end up giving you a profit empire express at six to one only has to win how many races you know it's like 10 races and you're obviously profitable that that's what it means when people say we're looking for value. We're not looking just to beat up on the favorites and not play favorites. We're looking for horses that we think, like you had said, five to one on on your value line. That's what it was six to one. That's a huge, huge improvement. And obviously, getting it done here helps. Now, when you play every race, ten races a card a day, you're going to end up losing a lot more. That's why being kind of you know, if your entire value line, every horse is under what you want it to be, just pass the race. Yeah, and that's. That's one of the critical things, I think, to figure out. And, you know, like the question comes, like, Matt, when did you feel like you started to, to be successful betting horses? And I tell them when I hand, handicap a card, I put down the form and just kick back and, like, watch the Yankee game. So I'm like, you know, like, I wouldn't play any race because I knew I didn't like anything. Like, that's sometimes the hardest thing to do is to walk away after you put in that work and you handicap and you're looking at all different races. Listen, if you don't like the race and nothing meets your criteria or you feel you're just not going to get the price and it turns out to be that way, then just pass. You don't have to play every single race. It sounds so easy. But it's so difficult. It's like that saying, like the hardest thing to do is to leave the racetrack with money. It's it's the truth. I mean, it's kind of the same way of just when you put in the work, it's so hard to walk away and say, I don't want to bet it because it's not meeting my criteria for, for price. Um, but once you learn how to do that, and once you see that be successful – you start to get more confidence in that. Like you start to like, you start to feel better about making that decision. It's hard at first, but I think once you do that and you, and you see like, yes, that was the right move. It just gets, it gets easier and easier. And it's just going to help your game. It's going to help. It's going to help your bankroll big time uh, down the line. I will say this, these batch of four races, I think is the key reason for Redboard rewind becoming a podcast, just going back and being able to find a horse like empire express North Dakota and just realizing that, also, not just handicapping, but doing that recapping. If you ha- if it takes you a long time to handicap, I'm not saying to go back and look at every result chart, but pick one of the day where maybe you had your worst your worst day of the week, and just go back and see if you can learn any side angles or something that could have helped improve you know your ticket making. And I can't thank my special guest Matt Bagvolgi enough for coming in and helping me learn a couple new tricks of the trade. Where can people find you on social media, Matt? I'm uh, at BlinkersOn22 on Twitter, and uh, yeah, reach out if you have questions. Uh, any, you know, a lot of folks do, and I think it's some great conversation. And uh, 
love handicapping the races, and I absolutely love this show. I think this concept is tremendous. I think it's something that changed uh, my game in horse racing, just going back, reviewing, and not beating up yourself or not just giving yourself the, uh, you know, not getting calluses on your hand for patting yourself on the back too much, but just taking a look and understanding, like, what happened? Can I improve? Can I get better? And I think that's what this, this, this concept's all about. So I'm always happy to be here with you, Spencer. I know we'll be talking soon. Thanks a ton. Thanks again to all the listeners and my special guest, Matt Vagvolgi. This show is been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Forentel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Cotney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. No.